0: What's the most beautiful site you've ever seen?
1: I have to say the most beautiful site for me is uh, just a gorgeous Nicaragua beach sunset. Uh, so I was born in Nicaragua and moved to Ca- actually moved to Calgary when I was nine. Um, and I've had the chance to go back, you know, ever since I moved, I've had the chance to go back to Nicaragua um, quite often. I've had... I'm grateful that I've had the chance to do that. And the connection to the birthplace and the motherland is still like really strong. I feel like my roots are still very much planted there. Uh, So it's really amazing to have the opportunity to go and, you know, use photography to capture some of the memories I had of growing up there. So some of that includes like a beautiful sunset as the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful sights I've seen.
0: Just out of quick curiosity, is it the ocean? Because I think the sunsets here are pretty dope too. But uh, is it something about uh, yeah nostalgia, or is there something visually quite uh, different than uh, how we see the sun here?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think like one of the things that I love about Alberta skies is like that that color mix of like the magentas that are so strong and powerful here. And I think some of it is, um, as you mentioned, connected to nostalgia because it reminds me of, um, like, I think, you know, like where, like on a beach sunset, like, you know, it's a kind of like a typical image, but like where the, like, where the sea meets the sky. And I think that's, um, it's just something like so powerful for me to think of, um, as like like memories of, of like, it goes beyond just the visual, I think. It, it's kind of like, like, I feel like I'm home when I see that. It's
0: pretty cool. My Viewfinder is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode of My Viewfinder is brought to you by the new season of Back to School Again, a podcast about midlife learners. The next season dives into the power of online learning Let's take a listen.
1: Hi, I'm Katrina Ingram, host of the Back to School Again podcast, a show for midlife learners. This back to school season is all about online learning. So, for season four, I'm live from my basement, bringing you socially distanced stories. We'll hear from guests who tackled degrees and trained in the trades, who augmented their skills and shifted careers. We'll find out how their back to school journeys have shaped their lives and how they manage to balance work, school, and family obligations. This season, I'm proud to partner with Athabasca University, Canada's online university. They're celebrating 50 years as leaders in distance and online education. Find all our episodes and subscribe to the show at backtoschoolagain.ca. We'll see you soon.
0: Find Back to School Again on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it at backtoschoolagain.ca. That's backtoschoolagain.ca. This week, I meet with Wilmer Alberto. His work is a fascinating and provocative mix of social advocacy and inclusivity. We share stories about facing challenges and the incredible resiliency that can emerge from traumatic experiences. He's a compassionate spirit and has found a powerful outlet through his art, a calling to address the stress and pressure to find mental and spiritual balance. Let's listen in and learn more about Wilmer. I mean this clearly with your work uh, at least the, again the work that you're uh, publishing right now on instagram and uh on the streets of calgary this uh, yeah a religious allegory in your messaging and there's a spirituality and everything you're talking about looking for joy and happiness and then um seeing this infinity almost in uh, in a horizon i i love it i uh uh, for me, moving from Toronto here, my my big uh, spiritual moment was feeling really small. Like the first time I walked up to a mountain, and I realized, like I'm fucking nothing. <laughs> Just the scale of the world. Uh, yeah, that was a big thing. That's why we stayed, I think. But,
1: uh, so, do you do you uh, go to the mountains often now that you live here?
0: Uh, what? Yeah, definitely at the beginning. Um, we were there a lot. This last. Just, yeah, quickly, this last year and a half uh, has been a little different. I got diagnosed with epilepsy, so I stopped being able to drive my car. You know, Helen started her own business, and I was doing um, some art stuff with perspectives, but without the car and with my brain space being what it is, everything kind of unraveled, and... Uh, I think the first time we've been out in the mountains uh, in maybe a year was in August. My wife and I celebrated 20 years together and uh, we were supposed to do some big trip, but we ended up doing glamping for like two nights and we were driving to Kananaskis and we we're like, I cannot remember the last time we were, it was, uh, it was awesome, but it, it reminded me that uh, we've lost touch with that a little bit, but uh, I don't know, not to be dismissive, but we've been here eight years and I'm starting to worry that we're taking it for granted a little bit, so... Yeah, we'll see.
1: Congratulations on your uh, anniversary, that's a that's a milestone. Twenty years.
0: Yeah, it's weird, man. It goes uh, goes quickly.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, uh, thank you for uh, sharing about um, like your experience with like health. Um, I've had I've had the opportunity to work um, with adults that have experienced um, um, like different diagnoses and like spectrum, and like maybe we'll. Talk a little bit about that and like how the social justice piece in my art um, has kind of like joined and met. Um, but you know, I've met people that um, have uh, that have um, been diagnosed with epilepsy, and I think um, you know, I think that some of the like changes that I see and like how people uh, will manifest resiliency into being able to um, just incorporate like different things into their lives um, for safety and also um, you know, to continue thriving. And I think that's remarkable. Like that, you know, in spite of these things, life goes on, you know, we keep doing the things that we do um, and we just find a way to, like, that becomes a part of life.
0: Yes. I, um, yeah. You know, I, I think this perspective you have is something that I, Struggled for a long time to uh, accept. Uh, I think, you know, I've also, you know, gone through uh, or am in the midst of uh, some alcohol and uh, drug addiction recovery. And so, uh, just like looking at where I'm at today and hearing you say that, and then getting sick uh, in sobriety and uh, having to, I don't know, the corporate buzzword, of course, is pivot or whatever. But yeah, just to keep evolving. Uh, and not expecting life to be static, like a picture. It's been a big learning curve, but, um, and if you've been dealing with people that are overcoming uh, health issues, uh, it's incredible to see how human beings can be resilient when they don't uh, succumb to that negativity. Uh, Like for me, getting epilepsy, or diagnosed uh, in my 40s, meeting kids that have had epilepsy since birth is a fundamentally, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how those families deal with it. I'm going to uh, investigate that. I think on a personal note, but it's 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 crazy, man. The things that human beings live through.
1: Yeah, I think um, something for sure in like in what you're sharing is um, like I I feel like really interested in how you know like finding out um, this diagnosis for you, like how that might impact your work, and um, you know like uh, like or even like. Uh, future projects that 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 you will do and I think there's an interesting connection when we talk about health um, like in mental health and I think that um, you know addictions and mental health definitely come sort of like very often come hand in hand and in my experience in working in work that um, supports individuals that have been having challenges with mental health I think that you know there has been like very often a history of addiction and i think in my own life the connection of art and mental health has always um has always played an important role for me because i i feel like at different times in my life where i have struggled the most with mental health are times where i've leaned most towards my photography and my practice to help me get through those times So um, if I can share, like an example of that would be um, in 2017, I was summoned to be a jury foreperson for a murder trial here in Calgary. What? Yeah. And, you know, it was interesting because I thought I thought long and hard about this calling and uh, because I had been working um, in mental health for some time. I thought, you know, I really brought it really brought that forward. I thought, wow, like that definitely is a whole other realm. And um, I had a friend actually who was working in the courts and she was like, oh, Wilmer, like this is like an amazing opportunity. So many people would really want to be able to contribute and give back as like it's like it's the responsibility as a citizen um, to respond to this call. So I got really excited and pumped and I was like, oh yeah, okay, like she's making a lot of sense. So of course then um, the trial started and it was two weeks of like every day going in and being subjected to like evidence. Uh, And of course, a lot of it is visual. And as a visual, as a very visual person, um, you know, like my whole entire career um, has kind of uh, relied on like attention to detail and so um these images like really affected me and I noticed with time that even like during those two weeks of this murder trial I I was like really starting to notice the impact and how like these visuals that were presented as evidence to us like were really starting to like surface like often throughout the day and so by the end of the two weeks um you know we were kept Actually, during the trial, like the, the the jury is actually kept in a locked room. So we they bring us into a room, and then we are we stay there like the whole entire time, except when we're actually in the court. And so by the end of the two weeks, we had deliberations. So we were like taken to a hotel where it was like secluded location with armed guards outside in the hallways, and completely like without communication with anyone else. And so we went, um, and then the verdict was delivered, and and then they just pretty much said, like, okay, took us out from, like, the back doors of the courthouse and said, like, bye. <laughs> and, you know, like, there, here I was, then after like experiencing all of this, and then all of a sudden I was just out in the street, and it was a moment where I just really felt so vulnerable, and I thought, like, okay like what now like is there any way like to debrief about this in a safe way and so then i thought you know life continues life is going to go on and you know i've kind of this is one chapter but then in you know in in just like the months that followed i really started um experiencing like post-traumatic stress from um you know dealing with um this case and so i knew at that time that I had to lean it in, uh, into something that I knew would help me. So I started doing a photography series with an angle of capturing like something that I would want to see that would give me peace. And so I was capturing um, portraits of people of color. And that's when this idea started uh, for me to kind of fill that gap of uh, creating more visibility and representation. And for that next year that followed, I had some real challenges and struggles with my mental health and coping and how to manage that. And at the same time, I was doing these photo shoots um, of portraits. And so I, I was really like finding that it was in the moments where I was doing the shoots that I really started feeling more uh, sense of peace. And, The very first shoot that I did after that trial, I remember I went to meet, like it it was uh, a model that um, I had connected with and I went to meet with him at the studio. And I remember just feeling so overwhelmed and so anxious about the idea of like, if I was gonna be able to do this shoot and get through the shoot. And I thought, I'm gonna meet this model. I'm gonna say, you know, here's the payment, but we can't do the shoot. Like I'm not able to do it. And then I just kind of reminded myself to stay in the moment and just be present. And I went and we met and we did that shoot and it was it was amazing. And I thought I have to come back to this because that was what I found was my, um, my way to channel that sense of calm. Um, and I really just wanted, that was my intention really to, um, my intention was really to just get through that time. And I knew that photography was the one tool that was actually really supporting me to, uh, to do that. So at the end of that year, I reflected back. And when I looked at the collection of images, then I really felt a sense to wanna share them. And that's when I, that was the moment where I thought, okay, it might be worthwhile to have an exhibition of this work. Um, Prior to that, my only intention was to just create so that I could keep going. And so um, so I, I had an exhibition, it was called Poetic Justice, and it was just my my way of kind of bringing that first circle and, and having the photography be my poetic justice out of the experience. And so there was an exhibition and a book that I published. Um, the book is available. Um, to be purchased at bookstores and it's, and the, uh, it's also circulating the Calgary, Calgary public library. Um, and yeah, that was the way I think of like kind of, um, wrapping up a chapter, but, you know, kind of, I just bringing it back to that mental health piece of like where, you know, in the work that I've done and working and supporting people that have had mental health barriers, um, you know, there's an, it's, it brings it a lot closer to home when I can apply that to my own life as well.
0: I love it. I I mean, one of the things that's, I mean, many things strike me, but one is this idea of being present. I mean, that is uh, from a philosophical and spiritual thing, such an easy thing to say, but such a difficult concept to kind of uh, live or to to absorb. Uh, Is that something you think has been part of your upbringing or is that something that you've, uh, come to approach as you've matured or gone through? I, I mean, I don't even know if you're like, are you a lifelong photographer? Are you a professional photographer or whatever it is that you've done in your life? You know, where does this, um, awareness of, of presence come? Because, uh, I have a slightly similar experience that I'm kind of struggling with. Uh, quickly, I was uh, in an altercation doing street photography uh, that was uh, very violent and racial. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I do actually feel a little bit awkward even, you know, I hang out with my friend Alvin on the streets taking pictures and I, sometimes I feel very strange. Um, but you're talking about going to the studio, um, hiring a model, Having that strong voice' for like "Fuck this like i I shouldn't be doing this, but you're able to overcome that I mean where does that come from and uh, that 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 little voice but obviously a stronger voice that uh, that you would find something there um,
1: you know what i I think honestly that it's it's just um my coping is the way that I cope you know i and I know that especially um you know when I was capturing this a Poetic Justice series of portraits. Like I know I have exact memories and recollections of of moments where I was able to just bring myself to the present to just kind of focus on um, you know getting the shot that I had envisioned or imagined and it really just like took took it away from Thinking about the past and thinking like, oh, am I going to be able to kind of create work that I feel is really strong or then worrying about the future and thinking like, oh, what's going to happen with this work? Is it going to actually achieve what I want it to? And when I separate the, you know, kind of like low mood thoughts of the past or like anxious thoughts of the future, then it just like, really encourages me to come into the present moment and just focus on that one shoot that one moment working and that that time you know and i think um i know like that it's interesting in talking about photography for me being that too because i know i've had friends that um you know have ex- like when we've had conversations about how to stay in the present moment they say or they share about the things and the tools that they used and i have a good friend who had said that they do rock climbing and they, and they said, you know, I, the way that you're explaining that, uh, staying in the present moment, they experience it rock climbing because when they're rock climbing, they have to focus on that exact present moment because they, they, if they don't, they're, you know, they're putting themselves in a dangerous situation. Right. So it's, I think it's just, um, you know, something that, uh, that it's, Good to practice, and I think people kind of channel it and outlet it in different ways.
0: Hmm. You know, channeling it, I mean, if I put it in a complimentary term, I mean, you seem to be doing it courageously. So, for example, I think uh, negatively, if I'm running for something, it's when I turn, you know, to distractions be it, uh, yeah, drugs, alcohol, uh, Netflixing, whatever it is. And there are, of of course, various degrees, so this is not to judge Netflix, because I I fucking, I I consume a lot of Netflix, but, um, yeah, it's a value word, but there are destructive manners in which to, um, I don't know, deal, but at least uh, cope or run away from trauma. But to set up a project, um, and I I do want to focus on what, this word means to you, but to set up a project around the concept of representation coming out of a situation where you're watching and visually uh, marred by a very brutal experience. Uh, I I keep thinking that I both want to be called to a jury and I never want to at the same time. You know, uh, there's something dramatic the way you when you're describing being sequestered in a hotel. I kept thinking about that Gene Hackman and John Cusack movie where they were like manipulating the. I can't remember that. Uh, But uh, yeah, like they're hiding in this motel and people are coming to manipulate. That shit's hilarious, uh, scary, but it just made me think of a movie. But uh, yeah, to go and and make that into a project is uh, is, is pretty fucking cool. And uh, so what is, yeah, so maybe we can start with this. Like, what does the word representation mean? And how do you go from feeling this trauma into a creative process instead of... uh, hoping that it'll disappear on its own, which I think a majority of people dealing with trauma uh, tend to do.
1: Yeah. And it's such a fine line, right? Like I, I, you know, like you were saying, like, you know, because definitely like, I mean, there, 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 it's just such a, I think like um, mindful approach because, you know, absolutely. I think on those like hard days, like for sure, I just want to like, you know, sit down and um, like drink, a bottle of wine, watch Netflix and like kind of outlet and like just numb out, you know, but I think that because of my own life experiences and and kind of just walking that line um, of like, like what things are actually going to be the things that are going to ground me. Then I know that again, like just leaning into my own creativity has been amazing to uh, be that reminder you know, because at times definitely when I felt like, I don't know if I can keep doing this, you know, like I I, in questioning, um, you know, and it it kind of, I think it's very layered because it brings up a lot of different things about my practice in general. And then also thinking about like continuing this work of of, uh, doing this work here in Calgary. And I think to bring it back to your question about representation, I think what that means to me is more visibility And um, more visibility of, I think, different narratives and turning the narratives that we've been told are true to ourselves upside down. Because I know growing up here in Calgary, you know, I came to Calgary and was considered, like I was considered like a high risk youth right away, you know, simply because I was an immigrant kid, you know. And so I think just kind of like automatically growing up um uh, you know sort of with with sort like carry that label like where you know you're kind of just just walking a line of like where there may be sort of like um like maybe i saw that like oh like these kids might be up to trouble um and so to me that like that representation is to create visibility of different narratives that younger people can actually relate to and see themselves represented in that work. You know, as a young Nicaraguan, as a young queer Nicaraguan kid here in Calgary, you know, I was so thirsty to see images that I felt represented me and that I could see myself in. And that's actually even to this day, um, you know, pretty hard to find. And, and this is a good segue, actually, to like bring it to the, the present body of work that I've been working on. Because after I did that, after I did that series of portraits uh, for the Poetic Justice Project, you know, I kind of thought like I had capped it and I was like, oh, cool. Like that kind of really captured like a body of work that I really felt like happy with. You know, I thought, OK, cool. Like we're seeing that representation. And then one day, like shortly after I had completed that project, I was in a a bookstore, and I saw this book that like um was called "Contemporary Portraits in Photography," and it was so like beautifully lit like uh, it was like in this uh display with like a spotlight on it, and it was just calling for attention and I was like, "Wow, and as soon as I saw it, i like was so excited to dive deep into this book. And as I started um, flipping through the pages, and that was here in Calgary, and this book, um, I believe, was uh, published in America. And so I started flipping through the pages and, you know, it was like I saw like a lot of like the female nudes represented and I was like, okay, like that's not. Um, like when we look at like art history was I was like that's not unusual Um, but it caught my attention because in my one work uh, prior to that I had been focusing on the male nude and so I thought okay so kind of creating a different narrative already but as I flipped more through the pages that I realized that I didn't really see any people of color and I thought okay like it really brought the question forward to me of like why is this called contemporary photography? Because I feel it's not really representing my my world, not representing what I see in my world, in my everyday. And that was the moment that really was, I think, the catalyst for me to say like, okay, I'm not fucking done with this work yet. I'm gonna continue doing this work because I want to do it here in Calgary. And I want to, Like, I feel really proud to be able to be bringing that lens here. And then um, that started uh, my new series, which is called Discipulos de Amor. It's the Spanish for Disciples of Love. And um, earlier you had mentioned kind of like the connection to um, like Catholic iconography. And that question has come up actually quite often. Like people like wonder why there's a connection to that. And you know, it's a very simple thing for me, like I just, I like when I came into the school system here in Calgary, I was, I came into the Catholic school system and some of my early introductions to art were through some of the um, actual like cathedrals that we would visit, um, like I remember going to St. Mary's Cathedral and seeing like this really beautiful um uh, like elaborate uh work and like details of like gold and like stained glass and so i think to me that was something that i saw as this like you know i i guess it would be my way to like be going to like mu like instead of a museum and gallery visit going to, to these cathedrals and seeing like the monuments and stuff and so so i think that now with my work it's like i want to f- flip those narratives upside down and tell new stories so yes why can we not represent uh, people of color or queer identities femme identities as iconic because the people that I have photographed to me are iconic and I want to share them in that way with the public
0: I love it CPA Alberta represents more than 29,000 CPAs, also known as Chartered Professional Accountants, across the province. CPAs are more than number crunchers who love Excel spreadsheets. They're business leaders, finance experts, trusted advisors, and entrepreneurs. They work in many different industries, from film to fashion, from government to oil and gas. Long story short, CPAs didn't just break the mold, they made their own. For an inside look at how Alberta CPAs are supporting their clients through the pandemic, follow CPA Alberta on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. You can also visit cpaalberta.ca to find out more.